Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. So I think let's just pray this morning. Today is a very special day. And um, I've been um, trusting for a message for several weeks on this. And uh, I've been very, I'm very excited with what I've got to share today. I believe the Holy Spirit has been, been leading me in. And what we're going to do is let's just bow our heads and pray quickly in prayer. So, Father, we just thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for what it represents and all the climax of the ages, Lord. And this day of, of crucifixion, where you took everything that was killing us and separating us from God, and you took it and died with it on the cross, Lord, and set us free. It's a day of freedom, Lord. And um, we just give you thanks, Lord. I pray that you would have prepared hearts to receive the message today, that your Holy Spirit would minister freely today, and that no one will leave here without having met with you personally, in a personal way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to fight with um, technology here today, and let's see how it goes. So, I'm going to... um, The title of the sermon is called Remember Me. And for me, this is a special day of remembrance. Um, There is a whole week, what we call the Passion Week, and it starts... You don't need to read all the small text. I'm not going to go into it. Um, but it begins with Sunday and the triumphal entry. So Jesus comes in to Jerusalem as a king, a humble king. He's on the back of, of, a, of a donkey. And, um, and then there are all sorts of things that happen in the space of that week. On the Monday, he clears the temple. He gets a little bit upset with what's been happening in terms of the religious practice and how that's keeping people captive. And he goes in with a whip and he clears the temple. Um, Then on Tuesday, we have a confrontation between Jesus and the Jewish leaders of the day. And he confronts them and he calls out the hypocrisy of the time. He says, come on, Oaks, you know, you're leading people astray and you're leading them into this religious practice. Not what I intended. And it's around about this time that the Jewish leaders decide that they're going to plot him, plot against him. So so on the Tuesday, don't worry about the the small text, but on the Tuesday... um, they get together, he has a big showdown, and obviously Jesus calls them out, and they get a little bit upset about it. Then on, on the Wednesday, is, we don't know for certain, but typically when um, Jesus has his, his feet washed um, by one of the Marys, uh, well, and um, she pours out this very expensive perfume onto his feet, and Judas gets quite upset about it. And around about this time is roughly when we sort of believe that he goes off to plot and conspire. And he actually he takes the initiative that Satan enters into his heart. And he goes off and he, he makes a deal. Um, but at this time, he, he gets bribed. And um, then we are going to focus on Thursday and Friday. Thursday is the Last Supper. And I'm going to speak quite a little bit, of, well, quite a bit of that today. Um, where Jesus gets together with, with the disciples in the upper room. And on Friday is when 
um, the, the real tribulation starts. So it, it's the Garden of Gethsemane, and, um, and Jesus um, gets betrayed and arrested. So we're going to go off on a little slight tangent today. We're going to talk about altars, and we're going to start in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is shadows of, of what Christ did on the cross today. And, um, and there are, there's significance behind altars in the Old Testament. I'm going to highlight some of them for you today. I found this quite a revelation for me in the preparation time, and sorry, occupation of health and safety moment here. Um, but, uh, what we see is, um, Old Testament teaching has the altars were often instituted by God. So he actually, he actually, um, okay. <laughs> Old Testament altars have several functions. <laughs> this is Jesus. His timing is a bit premature. <laughs> Um, they provide assurance and a sense of security in God's promise and covenant. So what we see is, is, is after the flood destroyed the earth, you know, God commands Noah to take one of the lambs and, and provide an altar in remembrance that he will not do this to the world again. And so there's actually, and he makes a covenant with Noah. And as part of that covenant, Noah builds the altar and, and does the sacrifice. Secondly, we see in, in Genesis 12 with Abraham and Isaac. Once again, you know, Abraham makes um, a, God makes a covenant with, with Abraham um, about being the father of all nations and provides the lamb himself. And as part of the covenant, there is an altar that is created and a sacrifice made. Then we have in Judges, for example, Gideon as well. And God gives him assurance and a promise. And as part of that promise in Gideon, um, we see um, the covenant. Gideon makes a, a uh, God promises. Don't worry, you're not going to. You know, when when he's about to just defeat all the Philistines, before he even does it, God, as part of the promise, Gideon builds an altar. Um, it's a reminder of what God has done. So what we see is we see God doing incredible things through the time. And the reality is, we as humans have got certain frailties. We forget easily. I've lost my key so many times. Here in the last week, I don't know, the cell phone has gone missing at least three times a day. Luckily, it's one of these iPhones that you can like track. Um, but we do forget things. And God knows that. And he actually puts these things in place. He put these things in place for, so that people would not forget. And so, for example, Exodus 17, verse 15, um, Moses is... God promises to wipe out the Amalekites and that their memory will disappear from the face of the earth. And as part of that promise and the, the whole victory, um, Moses commands Joshua to build an altar for that. Then Joshua 4 verse 8, um, we have another victory. I think this one is I. After I. Oh, no, it can't be. It's, is it? Um, so, we have these victories that are celebrated. 
And the people of Israel did exactly what Joshua commanded. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan. So this is the, the, crossing, the miracle of the crossing of the Jordan. And I'm going to go into that one a little bit later on. And then we've got um, a sacrifice and worship, Exodus 20, verse 24. So uh, I'm going to read this one out. It's actually quite a nice one as well. It actually, a sacrifice and the altar represented worship as well. Um, and we were singing about remembering the cross and worship, um, Old Testament worship. Make me an earthen altar. Sacrifice your whole burnt offerings, your peace offerings, your sheep, your cattle on it. Every place where I cause my name to be honored in your worship, I'll be there myself and bless you. So the altar was a place of worship and the significance behind that. And then consecration. So um, here Joshua is preparing uh, the people to move on. And what he does is he sets up an altar and he reads out the Old Testament teachings of Moses to the people. And he sets them, all the people, in front of him. He says, we're going to consecrate ourselves to the, day, to the Lord today in preparation for what God is doing. And as part of the consecration process, he inscribes the law onto the altar stones. And then they sacrifice on that. And they read the entire, um, well, in those days, there weren't too many books around it yet. Um, Deuteronomy and the teaching of Moses. So there was a point of consecration of the people. And then a place of service for the priests. So in Samuel, we see Samuel and um, Eli ministering to the Lord. And it talks about the altar as a place of service. And priests come and minister for, on behalf of the people, uh, intermediary for God. So altars have a very important place in terms of reminding people what God has done. And then a place of refuge. So in Kings, um, in the Old Testament law, Leviticus, certain cities were set aside. And if you held on to the, the horn of the altar and you'd committed homicide, then you could be spared. But you could not leave that city of refuge. But it was only for homicide. So Job, in Kings, what he does is he was a little bit naughty. And under David's rule, he got rid of all his opposition. He killed them, murdered them. And when Solomon came into power, King David, on his deathbed, says to Solomon, sort this oak out. You know, while I was alive, yeah, he, had, <laughs> he had my protection, but now that I'm going to die, deal with him. And Job knows that he's in for trouble, and he runs and he grabs out of the altar. But the problem is the law says it's only for homicide, not murder. If it's murder, you're dead, and he got killed. So they dragged him off the altar um, and killed him. But um, for homicide, it was a place of refuge. So this is, I love this verse. You know, certain verses just come out and they grab you and, and you have a now word in season. And this, for me, sums up some of what this altar worship represents. Joshua 4.20 says, And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones that are taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you always will fear the Lord your God. So the significance of these altars and sacrifices is quite significant. There's an issue of remembrance behind it so that we don't forget. It's not for us as well. It's for 
our children's children. So that you know, people will see these things and ask the question, why? Why are you doing this? Um, I'm not going to go into this in too much detail, but, in th- but basically we looked at Thursday, and Thursday was the Last Supper and the Passover. And during this period, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, um, and uh, uh, we have Judas um, leaving the group for the last time. And then we have the Lord's Supper. And during the Lord's Supper, there's a teaching um, which is contained within John, which is a discourse about, um, it's Jesus' last will and testament, in a sense. And he, he goes through that on Thursday night. So he knows he's going to die. And this is the opportunity for him to have the last word and to encourage everyone. And he predicts Peter's denial and frailty. And, um, and then they depart with these disciples, and he heads towards the garden. So then we have the Friday. And on the Friday, we have Jesus' discourse. So basically, he talks on his way to Gethsemane, then he goes and prays um, in the garden. And I'm just giving you some context and background here. Um, And then Judas comes with the religious leaders and soldiers, and they arrest him, and then he gets put on trial. And then there are various different trials. So we have the trial of the religious leaders of the day, and there were several. Um, we often don't see how many of how much he went through during this period. It was a very long night, that's all I can say, and a very early morning. He goes, he gets pushed backwards and forwards between Pilate, who wants nothing to do with this. Then he goes off to the religious leaders, and then he gets sent back to the Roman governor, and then he gets sent to the next one, and so forth. He's brought before Annas and then Caiaphas. Annas was the previous, um, let's call it the head of the Jewish church at the time. And then the Romans deposed him and they put his son-in-law, Caiaphas, in place. But he was still seen as the, the authority. And so God was covering all the bases in terms of how this thing worked out. So all religious authority at the time put Jesus on trial. Then we had... Jesus being condemned by the Sanhedrin. Peter denies him. Um, I'm not going to go into the detail behind that, but that's when the rooster crows. And um, Jesus had predicted it and had encouraged him beforehand as part of the Last Supper. Um, And then we have uh, Judas goes out and commits suicide. And um, so the significance of the cross and what it means. So this is what happened on the cross. Well, we've been having several weeks of discipleship training. And I call it Discipleship 101. And the last four um, discipleship lessons have been about Jesus and what Jesus, 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 Jesus accomplished on the cross. So we have, we have God's promises fulfilled and a new covenant established. So there's this word of covenant and a new covenant coming into place. And the fulfillment of all the promises that had gone before. Uh, we are made righteous during this time on the cross. So we, we talked, we had a very good teaching on Jesus being the lamb, putting himself on the altar 
for us, being the perfect unblemished lamb. And that blood spilled for us makes us righteous before God and sets us free through that. It's the gift of grace. There's the, the whole aspect that I taught on, on the new creation. So as part of this miracle of the cross, we actually die with Christ on that cross, spiritually, and we are born again. And that's where the term born again comes from. We, are, we die and born again. Our old sinful nature has died on the cross, and we are born again in spirit. Um, and we are given authority through Christ who resides in us. So our last teaching on Monday was about this issue of authority. So Christ has this authority, and we are sent out with this commission through that. And, and that was all achieved on the cross. We are allowed to have this authority with Christ. So the lamb, the lamb that was slain on the cross. So Old Testament sacrifice, we don't do it anymore. We don't have an altar here in the church, and we don't have a little lamb that we bring in here and slaughter. And we know that Jesus was the lamb for us. So, what, how do we, if we look at the principles of Old Testament teaching and the significance of, of the altar system and what it is about remembrance, how do we do it nowadays? What did Jesus institute? And we're going to focus, we're going to move now back in time from, from when Jesus died on the cross and we're going to the Thursday. And basically, the Last Supper, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks and he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And so the significance of remembrance comes back to the altar. Jesus dying on the altar, and the altar is, that sacrifice is gone and buried now. But now we move to having communion with the blood and the bread broken. So all the, those, those items that we were looking at, for Old Testament are still applicable, but they just take on a new form. We have the symbol of the cross, and we have the elements of community-orientated communion. The Last Supper. So Jesus, the Last Supper is very significant. This is the night before Jesus was going to be betrayed and crucified. And he premeditated this. It did not just happen. So... What we had is we have, um, if altars are no more, what does communion give us? The assurance and sense of security in God's covenant. So just as the, in the Old Testament, we had the, the, the Noah setting up an altar for a covenant, we have these communion elements, a representative of a covenant of grace that we, we live in. We have a reminder of what God and Jesus have done, the victories that he achieved, the victory over death, the victory over Satan. These are victories that we celebrate. In the Old Testament times, it was the victories over the Amalekites. Now it's the victory over sin itself and the victory over death and the miracles that Jesus has done. It's a time to bring sacrifice. We remember we bring ourselves as the sacrifice now. There is no lamb to sacrifice. We sacrifice. Daily pick up your cross. In a sense, it's about us bringing a sacrifice of worship. Putting these things aside. Not a sacrifice of works. Not a sacrifice of works. It's a sacrifice of ourselves. And a time of consecration. 
with these, this time of the elements, we can consecrate ourselves to, to God. We can remember what He has done for us and say, this is all that God did for me. When I take of these elements, I'm remembering what Jesus did. And I'm setting myself aside. I'm gonna, the word you know, holy comes to mind. It's a call to service for some. It might be that in the elements, you're serving with the elements yourself, or you, you, you're, you're called in that. And it could be a place of refuge. Maybe life is getting you down and you want to be close to God. God is with you all the time. But we remember at the communion that this is a sacred time and that God is with us. And it's for our children when they ask, why do we have communion, Dad? What is the significance of this? So it's something for them to remember. But what else? Okay, so that was Old Testament tie-in. I'm going to look at, 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 at some of the New Testament aspects of communion. There's this aspect of fellowship. So when we instituted this communion, it's for everyone. We come together as a family, as a church. When, um, and we, we prepared. Where's Robin? Um, there's an aspect of humility behind it. So at the Last Supper, Jesus began by washing his disciples' feet. So he predetermined what this Christian journey is about. And um, it, there, is a, there is a big sense for me of humility that comes through what we are called to do as Christians. There's a new commandment that comes. The new commandment. Uh, you all know what the new commandment is. So the law had fallen away and the new commandment comes. You know, love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. So John 13, 34, there's a new commandment that is given to us about love. There is redemption, grace, and mercy. If you take Peter's denial, Peter and Jesus had a discourse at the Last Supper. And Jesus said, Peter, you're going to drop me, but it's okay. You're going to drop me but it's okay. We are going to fall as Christians. We are like Peter. We can deny it and say, Lord, hey, man, I'm never going to sin again. Okay, but the reality is we do have a sinful nature which has been destroyed, but we have some old habits that die hard. So yes, we are born again, renewed, but we do sin from time to time. We are, we are saved. We are, we are not sinners that sin. We are a new creation that falls from time to time. And so there is this issue of grace and mercy and, and, and that the fact that at this communion table, it's okay to say, Lord, I made a mistake. I accept your grace. But that doesn't have to be communion, but this is just a time for remembrance. We should be doing this day to day. At the time of the Last Supper, in the discourse of John, Jesus talks about the promises of the Holy Spirit then and there. So he actually looks forward and says, look, I'm going, but I'm sending my my." my, my the Holy Spirit, a helper to help you. And we, we're at, when we partake of communion, we can remember that. And it's a reminder of the word, John 17, verse 14. At the Last Supper, Jesus actually talks about remembering the word of God over the over breaking of the bread. Um, so there's, there's a lot in it. And then um, there's a prayer for unity. So as I said, Jesus' final uh, one of the, the last time in communion with the, his disciples, 
And his prayer was for unity. And so as we partake of the elements, there's a call to unity as believers in that. And then he gives a mission. So we are not here without a purpose. We don't just exist. We don't live to die and go to heaven one day. And uh, tomorrow I'm hoping for the rapture. No. When, when Jesus leaves, when he's sitting at the last supper with his disciples, he actually tells them, I'm going to leave and I'm giving you a mission, a new purpose. Make disciples. So our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. And then we have the future. So I'm wrapping up now. And um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up this communion to the congregation, to you, to partake. There's a table over there as well. And there's a table in the front here. But... Um, and so, while Heather's is playing, I just invite you to stand up as families and friends, not just yet. Um, and we're going to enter into a time of communion. And in that time of communion, we remember what God did and has done. And some of these issues that I've talked about, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information that I covered here. But, but there might be something that spoke to you directly in your heart. Maybe it is celebrating what God has done and being thankful for it. It might be that you're just seeking peace at the table. Maybe you're lonely and you need unity of believers behind you to know that you're not alone. But there's also a third aspect of communion for me. And that third aspect is encapsulated in this picture. This painting is called First Day in Heaven. And what it symbolizes is someone is died and they are now in the arms of embrace of Christ. And so we look forward to that. But I call it past and present and future because we have this relationship with Christ now. We don't have to die to have it. This is what the cross purchased for us. This joy, the knowledge that we are safe in the hands of Christ. And for me that's significant because we have an eternity of this relationship. But heaven comes to earth when we partake we do this in remembrance of all that Christ has, has done for us. So, I'm going to finish off now. Just to say it's to be continued. Because on, on Sunday, Jesus rises. And Steve's going to take that one. Um, and, um, but for this Easter, Easter Friday, we, do, we are here to remember what God has done for us. So, can I ask you to all stand, please? You, there will be people coming around with the communion elements, the bread and, and the wine, to bring it to the back. If you can't come to the front, that's okay. But I just invite you to come and, and spend time in fellowship. Um, what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll move some of the slides back, and you can look at some of those items, and, and maybe they have significance for you. There's another table over there. There's a second table over there. Second table over there. So you can come to either table. And um, so let's just pray quickly. And then we're just going to have a time of, of worship and ministry. And just I pray that, let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for this word, Lord. We thank you that this is a day of remembrance, Lord. We are excited about what you've done, Father, how you've set us free. Lord, I pray that we would use these elements 
to, and pass it on from generation to generation so that our children's children may know how great you are, Lord God. How you are victor- you were victorious over death. You conquered the grave. You conquered sin and died with sin on the cross. You took our wrath, Lord. We thank you for your promises of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for the word that you've given us. We thank you that we have been given a new sense of purpose, Lord. We thank you that you have made your residence inside of our hearts and that you've, we are a new creation in Jesus' name. Amen.